Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news and interviews with the leaders, founders and clinicians who are shaping the healthcare landscape in the UK and beyond. I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. And today is no exception. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest, Daniel Rook. So as a bit of a background, as well as being a very nice guy and a hotshot lawyer, Daniel is the co-founder of Start Codon, which is a, a next generation health tech accelerator coming out of Cambridge and is backed by some of the most prestigious names in life science and healthcare. Uh, Start Codon are literally creating the companies of the future. They're at the bleeding edge of healthcare and health tech. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce Daniel. Daniel, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for such a lovely introduction. It's not often I get described as a lawyer and a nice guy in the same sentence. So it makes a a distinct change from what I'm normally subject to. Well, you know, we like to talk people up on this show. We like to, it's a good news show, right? And I think today of all days, we could probably all do with a bit of sunshine, right? It's absolutely 2021 because there was some sunshine generally, I think. But uh, no, it's really nice to be invited and pleasure to be. And um, how are all your companies at the moment in lockdown and things like that? Is that affecting them or are they still okay? I know we're going to get into the details, but but what's the kind of mood in the camp? Yeah, so I think I, I think at the moment, um, mood in the camp is is generally fine. So when it happened in March, we had a you know some initial issues with getting access to labs and so on. Uh, you know, as they initially closed due to the pandemic, lack of data being available and so on and so forth. I think that that has that the situation now versus what it was like back then has changed. Um, labs are still predominantly open, so companies that are doing development work can still do development work. There's process right. labs that weren't there before, um, and so because the companies that we invest in tend to be such an early stage and quite heavy in the development development side and require a lot of time in the lab actually not at the moment a huge amount of impact in that okay. regard some supply issues but but generally speaking the companies are doing well they're cracking on with their plans and we're pretty pretty happy with the rate of, uh, of development and, and great and perfect um so generally the show has a rough format. So the first, the first bit is is the origins. You know how you came to be doing what you're doing. The second bit is really going to be digging into. Um, I'm really interested. I love what you guys are doing at Start Code on. I know that at, at PopDoc, we've we've had some interaction with you guys. I've mentored some of your companies on the commercial side of things, and they are uh, apart from being a great group of individuals doing some unbelievably exciting things. So we can get into that in the second bit, and then the final bit is what's in the future for you and for start code on. And then there's a few topics that I know you and I have already, already kind of picked out that we want to kind of highlight um, today and kick around. So um, just to start off with, so you, your background, you are, you're a lawyer by, by trade, so to speak. So how did you kind of make that transition into 
health tech or healthcare or, you know, talk us through that because that's not necessarily like a, a normal pathway for a lawyer to follow, really. Yeah, yeah. So um, a bit of an odd one. So I ended up going into law, I think, um, originally for, for rather grandiose purposes of, you know, wanting to, to do well and so on and realised that actually the industry operates slightly differently than that. So uh, corporate law, my background's focused on kind of venture capital and uh, with a specific focus on, on healthcare and tech, but more on the healthcare side. So spent uh, several years in private practice as a senior lawyer, a, a, a large part of that in a large number law firm called Taylor Westing, which is probably, probably the, the yeah. preeminent tech and one of the preeminent life sciences firms in the, in the country and in Europe. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I essentially went went into to law bills with specialism in, in, in advising healthcare companies and, and so you were you 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 kind of chose to to kind of stream yourself onto healthcare and health tech at an early stage or was that something that someone just suggested and you sort of ran with it and like did you have a background in it before in science or or, or anything like that no no so so i think I think a combination of several things. So when you start as a junior lawyer, you do lots of different things around the edge, right? And you find what you like to do when you when you, when you qualify, so you're going through your, your degree, you've done your postdoc, you're doing your training, you pick wherever you want to be in. I picked corporate law. And then, you know, you do a multitude of different deals, transactions, and so on, and try and find what it is that you like. So it takes a few years to iron that out. When you get to the point of ironing that out, for me, it was in venture capital, really like doing the fundraising stuff, like seeing the... The, the different texts that you know all the disruptive things that the companies could do that you worked with and what they could solve and that really got me interested in it i got in healthcare for for reasons that i i thought well initially for career progression thought it was a good area to be in but also just really enjoyed it really enjoyed the 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 industry really enjoyed getting to, to meet the amazing scientists entrepreneurs that you meet who are developing kind of these you know, bleeding egg te- te- technologies, basically, to help patients. And so I got into it that way and then just kept doing more and more of it, actively sought them out, um, ended up um, kind of um, kind of co-leading the kind of healthcare um, corporate practice originally at, uh, at Taylor Westing when it was getting off the ground uh, in- informally. And then uh, they're just basically doing that. So, so the, big, the bigger the round, you've got, you know, everything from hundreds of thousands up to hundreds of millions. Okay. Just just got into it that way. So no, no backgrounds, um, after leaving private practice, I went in-house. So I had to be a general counsel of a farmer, of a biotech originally, that, uh, and lived through the whole kind of commercialization journey. So from development biopharma company up to, to actually selling products to the market, having to live through that. So help set up the US and European sides of the operation. And right. generally going to the com- kind of commercialization piece from that. And that experience, along with the private practice experience, got us to, to effectively, me and Jason, my co-founders, who basically started with StartCode yeah. So when did you when did you meet Jason? Who I I, I mean I love Jason, and I, I actually think he might be one of the most stylishly dressed people I've ever met in my life. I mean, he's like you know he just looks like a like he's walked out of a GQ magazine. I think. Yeah, it's, it's tremendously annoying. Let me say, <laughs> it takes distinctly less time to, to 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 look like that than it does than it does me. But. Um, yeah, no, J- Jason, uh, annoyingly, has also got the, the brain the size of a planet, which makes you generally feel inferior. But um, so, so how do we get to? Great to. So how how do we get in contact? Um, just through a meeting of minds, really. So you know, when I was when I was um, 
from, from connections built up when I was in private practice and then connections that were kind of reinforced in, in industry, you know, got talking to, to some of the uh, local investors in the area, some of the local kind of thought leaders, entrepreneurs. And, and you know, there was, some, there was a lot of publication, there were some publications from the government about there being a funding gap in kind of early stage tech, generally not necessarily in healthcare. And so Jason and I got introduced through some mutual contacts. And I think, I think from our point of view, we always felt, you know, we, we clicked on the basis that we always felt that there was a, a bit of a lack of, uh, particularly a lack of funding in healthcare. So tech's easier to fund, typically. You know, tech is in the broad kind of sense of the word because yeah. your overheads are lower, your, your kind of market access is, is very different. And, and your IP position... To- by, by tech, just for everyone listening, you kind of mean more things like, I mean, taking some extreme examples like Uber or Deliveroo or, you know, when they were smaller, that's the sort of tech you mean, the more consumer-facing, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm going to set up a marketplace to let people, I don't know, sell their apartments online yeah yeah so SaaS, you know some things in the fintech space but kind of looking looking really at those you know those areas where where, where digital solutions effectively um you know fundamentally so so um you know it's it's a bit you know, capex is lower market access hurdles are typically lower but not always yeah so we we actually had a really interesting chat with them um, a guy called peter cowley who I, you might yeah. have come across through the no, cambridge Please note that all information and content on UK Health Radio and our blog are provided by the authors, producers, and in Cambridge, because I know that Peter's obviously a big um, proponent of Cambridge, the Cambridge cluster. Um, and, you know, it's actually rivaling, if not exceeding uh, London at the moment in terms of its output for high tech, life science, health tech companies. But one of the big things that he was talking about was that um, for health tech companies, there is this kind of valley of death between, you know, when you come up with the idea and you prove feasibility, you think, OK, well, we've got something, but it's extremely difficult to fund the next stage because of the risks and timelines for health technology, because it takes so long to get to market, you know, and I know that you guys do some stuff in drug discovery and that could be, you know, seven to 10 years before something generates any revenue. So yeah, is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, it is. And so I think, I think, you know, with, um, you know, with tech, you can sometimes fund just an idea. I think in healthcare life sciences, you need that data. That data is often funded by you know, universities, institutions, by the government through research grants and so on. And, and it has to get to a certain stage. And then the issue is when it's at a stage where it might be capable of being spun out, who's there to fund it? Who's there to invest in it? And the, the population of funders in, in the kind of that area, that kind of healthcare side is lower than it is on the, it's lower, there's less of them than there are on the tech side. And I think that's primarily because, um, you know, they need more cash. Is on the they need more cash early on. They they burn through cash at a quicker rate. They the exit profiles are longer. So for investors, I say angel investors like Peter, who who you know, I mean, Peter is a different level than than, than some. He's a very well known entrepreneur and investor. But you know, a lot of investors want their exit, uh, particularly angels. Uh, you know, sometimes in three to five years. Yeah, and that's with, that's just sometimes not possible in healthcare. Well, it's not 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 with health tech. That's just not going to fly. You might get lucky, but it's more going to be likely to be you know, light health tech. Right, yeah. you know, m- more on the kind of thin app end yeah. of things as opposed to anything that's going to be, you know, shaping the future of healthcare. I would argue. Yeah, yeah I, I entirely agree, and, and I think that you know the the issue there is that you, you're not going to get an exit in that timeline. So you have to find people who are willing to put in some enough money at the outset 
sometimes when there's a lack of data or there's only some data available and someone is prepared to take the risk to fund that and 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 also because there's a lack of people funding you know you've, you've really got to say the point is it's not you know, the, the technologies the, the really cool great disruptive technologies sometimes don't get out of the lab they don't get out of the lab at the right time you know yeah. they're because there's, there's, there's just a lack of funds there. So, so start yeah. coding was started with a view of, of trying to really kickstart that by saying, look, we'll start writing checks at a quarter of a million. We'll enable you know companies to be spun out at the right time, mm-hmm. where people would otherwise take a, 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 you know, a punt based on the data because it's too, as I said, it's either too long to exit, it's too risky for some more established players who who have. You know, we were more kind of, you know, they put lots of money in, but in a, in a small number of opportunities. And right. so we had to kind of get those companies as a launch pad, basically, to get those companies out of the lab and to also find people with, with you know, mutually aligned, who've got interests who might want to also fund those companies at an early stage. And that pool yeah. was smaller. It's growing. And there are people that are moving into the space on the VC side, but it, it's small. And so, you know, we are really there to try and kickstart that, being a bit of a West Coast mentality to, to doing that with the accelerator. Right. We'll get into that. Don't worry, because there's a lot that I want to showcase of what you guys are doing, because I think it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but before you did this, what, what before you went off on your own and you did start code on, like what was what, did you have any fear? Because like I, well, I guess you'd already left the kind of um, traditional lawyer path of staying within a massive firm and kind of progressing. But like, what was your journey, personal journey, like from you know very prescribed pathway? in a very, very, very prestigious law firm to, you know, ending up being a kind of a founder of a extremely disruptive accelerator that's doing things that no one else is doing. Yeah, I, I, so for me, I, so back in uh, in 2015, my wife and I had a stillbirth, uh, and one that could arguably have been prevented. Um, and so, you know, I use that. That, that also you know, comes comes into some of the stuff we'll talk about later about my desire and my interest in certain sectors of healthcare. Um, but, you know, we, we had a stillbirth. It could arguably have been prevented uh, without going into the details. There was a degree of negligence on a, on a hospital's part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got me to reassess really what it is that I wanted to do. And I thought, well, you know, being a private practice lawyer is great, but, you know, pays well, hours are very long. And, and actually, you know, is it really where I wanted to be? Did it Did it really, did it enable me to build up all the skill sets that I wanted? The answer to that after reflection was no. So I went in-house, was a GC. That got me more experience on the ground, working for a pharma company that was focused on rare and orphan diseases, which is an area that is, that is also close to my heart. And, and you know, that then got me the, the kind of more rounded experience along with everything else to, to, to think about actually, you know, is there something that could be done to plug the gap? And that's when Jason and I had our meeting of minds and right. came together to start up, start code on, because you know, there's a patient aspect, there's a personal aspect to it. And there's a, you know, there's an interest generally in the sector, which, which kind of all came together for the both of us and made us, made us click and really well, yeah. a crazy step to, to go off and try and do something, which we don't think at the time, anyway, anyone else had managed to do in Europe. Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't, know who else is really trying to do it the way you guys are doing it but it's, it's funny that you you know uh, from, from speaking to a lot of people and i know for me personally you know that a lot of people in healthcare or health tech are in it because they have a personal motivation for some reason some history some story some some connection that's kind of motivated them to to do to do it and it's it's more than a job and it's more than a salary it's it's you know it's a kind of a, a calling in in a way um so yeah i i can sort of relate to to, to that aspect of it. So to, to go back to the bit around 
are there particular areas where you have a personal interest, even if they don't align with Start Code on? Are there some areas where you or had a personal interest or very, uh, you know, uh, kind of you keep an eye on in terms of the in, in yeah, yeah. areas? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, kind of uh, preventative medicine in the sense of, um, you know, looking at ways that you can treat treat diseases at a really early stage, looking at uh, technologies that can help to, um, you know, inform lifestyle, drug or other choices, uh, you know, gene therapies. So basically prevent, prevent people developing diseases at the outset, even if they're genetically prone to diseases or, you know, they're, they're at a high risk because of their genetic profile to, to develop certain diseases, things like that really interest me. Um, I'm also very interested in... In, in general health, I mean, sarcoma is more more on kind of uh, the, the healthcare life sciences, quite deep tech side. But I have a general interest in health and wellness, uh, which I think is particularly relevant actually because of COVID and the impact mm. that that's had on people's lives and the pandemic. Um, and yeah, and, and early detection. So again, you know, in the in the realms of detecting diseases earlier, looking at ways that we can we can address that. I think there's a market. There's, there's a personal need for that um, yeah. because the issues that we went through could have been dealt with, I think, and detected earlier. Uh, but there's also there's also a wider societal kind of cost benefit from that. Uh, you know, if yeah, you can, big, I mean, particularly in the UK, particularly in the UK, yeah. you know, with the health system that we have. I mean, there's there's benefit in any healthcare system to um, prevention, and I think that that we this is something that we struggle with, uh, vital sign solutions, where you know all, all of our products and services are, are around. Um, inspiring people to take more control of their health, test themselves for their lipid levels, test themselves for their HbA1c, diabetes risk levels, get a health assessment, connect on to follow-on care. A lot of that, or all of that, is geared around reducing risk, right? Mm-hmm. But it's 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 harder to convince, I would say, systems and organisations. Although the NHS has gotten a lot better at this, and that's one of the things that we're working with them on on the NHS accelerator is around how do you prioritise prevention when prevention might not pay off for five, 10, you know, 15 years where, you know, you've got wards overflowing right now, that type of thing. So it's quite hard of you. Is that something that that you've sort of come across or noticed? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think actually, you know, you've hit the nail on the head in the sense of, I think we're very, you know, there's a, there's definitely a focus on kind of reactive care than there is on, on proactive care. So kind of, you know, and I've noticed that across the, across the, the board. And I think, you know, and I actually think that the recent pandemic, because and we can talk about this a bit more later as we discuss beforehand. But you know, I think I think there's going to be a change in focus of how healthcare providers provide the care. There has to be, and, has and to. actually, maybe maybe that's the trigger point for, for the things that you're doing, uh, vital signs, and 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 to really get people to adopt new technologies. Because in many ways, the NHS and, and you know, I've got. Can definitely think of some examples, but it's been forced to adapt new technologies because of the pandemic. And well, so what one of our one of our advisors is um, he's a very experienced GP. He runs a big GP um, network, a, a primary care network, up in Sandbach, and um, he said that the the scale of change within primary care in the last twelve months has been greater than you know twenty years. Yeah, in, yeah. in the space of twelve months. You've seen some amazing, some, some fantastic uh, technologies come out from things like video translation services where people can you know, translate, patients can, can talk to doctors where they wouldn't be able to do that face-to-face because it translates, you know, their, their care. You've seen different... You know, yeah, 
things like imaging, things like you're doing, um, you know, um, uh, vital signs, blood, you know, testing, testing. everything like that has all changed. You've seen, you've seen huge strides in things that wouldn't otherwise have been considered. You've seen changes in, in points of care testing, which has always been an area where people have said effectively, you know, it's got too many issues with it. You know, you, you suffer from accuracy if it's not done by a professional. And you, you, yeah. you, do, you do. I mean, you do. If you look at the, the new COVID test, for example, the accuracy there, you do suffer from it. But there's been a willingness and a, a, a for, forced willingness sometimes. But yeah, exactly. Different solutions. How have you found it different in the UK versus, say, other territories where you guys are working at Vital Science? Have you found that there's more of a – have you found them more accepting of, 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 of earlier technologies that help to diagnose issues earlier? I mean, I, th- I, th- I think the UK – in the UK, within healthcare, it's quite hard to avoid the NHS. It's sort of almost like a, a, it's like the lodestar in a sense. And I remember when we first started and we were raising we were the first couple of rounds of, of capital. You know, we were we <laughs> half the time people would criticise us because we had a strategy for the NHS, and half the time people would criticise us if we said that we didn't and that yeah. we'd focus on consumers. So you sort of can't really win a bit. You know, I, I think that our view was that we always wanted. To, we feel our technology can apply in lots of different ways. Consumers can adopt it directly, or we can work directly with healthcare organisations. I think the, the area of real interest for us is the US. I think the the propensity to take more control over your health there is certainly greater um, and the ability to reach consumers directly with healthcare solutions is greater there's a complexity around the reimbursement model obviously um, which you have to crack if you want to become you know if you want to get reimbursed and things like that but the the sort of the the baseline um, view of of investing in your health, I, I would argue, is higher in the US than, than it is else than it is in the UK. Um, I think across Europe, things differ. France has a very similar system to the UK. There's a you know huge publicly funded um, uh, healthcare system. Germany's insurance based. Switzerland's insurance based. So those are a lot more. Germany's actually a really attractive market in general um, because. Obviously, it has an extremely high sort of, um, what would I say, sort of digital literacy, extremely high sort of awareness of healthcare issues. They have, um, they've always had, I, I used to live there for many years. I, I speak German, spent a lot of time there. They have a very kind of holistic attitude towards health, generally speaking as well. Um, and it's it's sort of private insurer based um, to, yeah. to boot. Uh, oh, and the other thing that's very helpful in Germany is that the um, primary care um, are much more geared around um the, the primary care so GPs are the equivalent GPs are much even further along the pathway to being their own entrepreneurs as opposed to in, in the UK. Obviously, GPs, GP surgeries are businesses here, but a lot of their funding is, is coming directly from the, the local CCG, which is the kind of local NHS body that gets budget from the national NHS body and then sort of works out how to divvy it up in that particular region. Um, so, I, you know, but what I would say is that the the pace or the, the speed of innovation and the volume of innovative companies coming out of the UK is really, within health tech, is kind of rivaling the US, I would think, at the moment in terms of that sort of volume and that interest. I think the difference that I've noticed is, and this is where you guys come in, so it's a nice segue um, because you mentioned, you know, bringing that kind of West Coast attitude. And I guess that West Coast reference is really more of a, it's sort of like a code word to the, you know, Silicon Valley type of reference um, is really that funding pathway so you know where where, you know a health tech company 
could be the same company in the UK or Europe and the same company in the US, you know, the ability for that company to raise money is, is easier and the ability for that, that company to raise at a higher valuation and to raise more money is probably higher. Um, but yes, you guys are trying to fill that gap. But I think that now I was saying to someone today, the, the sort of in the UK, I think we're living in a period now, as you say, partly created by this pandemic of just unbelievable innovation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a health tech revolution to coin a phrase. And so, yeah, it's so, so tell us about how Start Codon is kind of helping with that. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, and we can talk about Cambridge in a minute because you mentioned Peter, Peter mentioned Please, that yeah. previous show. But I think, so if we start with with what we're doing and then and then why why we're based in Cambridge, I think might be useful. But, uh, you know, so we so we are a, a UK venture fund. We're structured like most of the UK venture funds. We invest a minimum of 250,000. We can invest more in, in, in limited circumstances. But, you know, primarily we have uh, uh, our investors are strategic investors and we would look to, uh, you know, fill fill on any instance where we don't follow on our money uh, with through our, through our LP base and through partners who we work with. Uh, and, you know, the, the traction there has started to, to really kind of pull together more with the people we work with, but um, as kind of syndication and follow on partners. But so we, as I said, we, we invest we invest cash, cold hard cash, minimum two fifty k. We'll do that uh, very early doors. So we you know we won't fund an idea. We need data, but we will fund it and spin companies out direct from institutions. Uh, we just actually wrote about. Yeah, and the the reason why that's important is that, as you said earlier, just to explain to everyone listening a huge amount of the really, really high-tech innovation is happening in university institutions. Right? But the the in, in order to get the maximum of that innovation, it needs to be spun out, i.e. removed from the institution and then created into a company that can then fully maximize that value and bring that that technology to the world. Is that, that's kind of what you that's, mean, that's, right? that's, that's a fair summary, yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's not, you know, the far better in the US at doing that through institutions like um, MIT, you know, Harvard, Stanford, and so on. Yeah. They're very, very good at, at getting that out. They've got a very well-trodden well pathway to, to creating companies. We, we, are, we are getting better. Um, we aren't quite, you know, we're not as slick as the US. Um, and sometimes, actually, some of the people who create the, 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 the really great disruptive market change technologies don't even think about spinning out a company. So when we talk to them, they think, oh, actually, that's, that's something that they, they, they actually want to do because either they've been struggling to, to license out the technology and struggling to develop in another way, but actually you know, spinning out the company offers them a new way to do that. So yeah. you know, we utilize our expertise, uh, you know, the, the, there's five of us in the team, um, you know, so there's, there's, there's me, there's with my background. So, you know, I, I've been involved in lots of licensing transactions and spin out deals before. Um, so I can utilize that to, as part and parcel of negotiating the spin out. We've got Jason, my co-founder, who's also the CEO of Start Codon, who's mm. you know, business development backgrounds, uh, ex-CEO. Ex-CEO of, of yeah. yeah. So he's he's had several fundraising rounds for them and helped the company to pivot um, a, you know, a few years ago into what it's currently doing. We have a, a pattern attorney called Sakura Holloway. We have another colleague who's joined us soon for a very well-known charity. And I've, we've got a, a colleague called Sylvia Baudone who manages our yeah. partnerships. And, and Sylvia's great. Yeah, I think you've dealt with it. Yeah, yeah, she's the one that that, that helped me um, get involved with the program with the company. yeah, which is uh, and your help's been been really invaluable, I think, to to the companies that you know have been have been speaking to you and 
Um, so we, you know, we utilize all, all that expertise to, to help spin the companies out. And then we utilize our expertise of being involved in early stage companies uh, across the board to, to help with things like patent strategies. We're in, a, as we said before, a six month acceleration program where we, you know, as part of, we, we call it an acceleration program. It's, it's a bit weird because if we're spinning people out, it's, it is an acceleration program, but it isn't uh, in the sense of we're kind of teaching them how to walk and set everything from scratch. So yeah. normally people associate acceleration with an existing company putting money in and accelerating it so it goes it goes off and, and can raise a larger round. That is that is still what we're doing. We are spinning companies out and we are growing them at pace in a very short period of time. But it's perhaps not acceleration in the sense that people might be used to it. But you know, we utilize the expertise to set the companies up, get their IT sorted, get their data protection systems sorted, get their website up and running, giving them access to people like you as mentors, you know, give access to wider partner and investor networks. I- all, yeah. all, all sorts of things which they wouldn't, you know, and we dedicate hours of our day. We, so we dedicate specific times, specific days to the companies, and we really get into the weeds, very time intensive, but we think that it's time well spent because we do feel we can achieve in, in, in the six months that they are with us intensively. And we do keep in contact with them for, you know, throughout the investment period, but we have a kind of a lighter touch, kind of second six month period. But, you know, we do really feel that in that period of time, we can do the amount of early stage work, patent, you know, strategy, business plan, writing and development that actually the companies would take several years to do. Right. We still do feel we can accelerate it, but it's perhaps in a different way than, you know, if we're spinning people out, a different way than people might normally think of an acceleration program. Working. Okay. And does the does the program focus on any particular types of technology or particular areas within health tech? So we are. So we, we would generally invest in, in in anyone in kind of healthcare life sciences space. But in terms of, um, you know, we like we like platform technologies. Um, because they have an application. So platform technology is a technology which um, you can use uh, in, in a variety of ways. So you can okay. use, you can use it to uh, license to other people to develop the technology in certain areas, or the company could develop it itself. It's, it's a base technology which can be applied in a multitude of... So like it's almost like if you created a way to test for certain things, you would be able to license out that methodology to other people to test for different things, for example. Yeah. Correct, correct. So you could apply it to different, you know, you, you can have a technology which, you know, focuses on, I don't know, gene editing, and you can apply it in different sectors, subsectors for different types of people, for animals, and maybe, uh, you know, there's right. some technologies you can use in healthcare, you can also use in agriculture, for example. So right. it's technologies with multiple applications. Uh, but then, you know, whilst we have a preference for that, we, we, you know, we primarily look at digital health, um, you know, uh, health tech generally, um, therapeutics, uh, and, you know, within health tech, you cover things like med devices. Is there anything that you guys kind of steer away from or deliberately, or is it you're open to anything in theory? I think in theory, we're open to anything. So we've got a pretty wide experience on the team. We've got a, a wider experience with the members of our board. So we've got the likes of Jonathan Milner on there. We've got representatives from Cambridge Innovation Capital. Yeah, you guys have an unbelievable backing. Yeah, representatives from different from different organisations. We have a, we have a, a, a you know a, an LP base who's experts we can tap into as well. So we have a you know we have perhaps a specialism for more of the kind of med devices, therapeutics plays, but we're you know we're certainly not alien to to, to other plays which are more digital based. You know we've got we've got lots of expertise around the table. We've, we've been involved in a lot of deals, and so the intention is really to just grab the yeah you know, to, to, to invest in and help to to mentor and. Know 
nurture the companies that are really exciting and producing really disruptive technology so across the kind of spectrum. So if you're a company like right now, or maybe you're in an institution in a university, you have a cool technology or, you know, wh- why would they join the program versus just continuing on to do whatever they're going to do? I think so several reasons, really. I think, um, you know, if you are in a university institution uh, or, uh, or another type of institution, the attitudes on on kind of using that technology can vary so they you know they can be very focused on research and actually they can have a product which is which is perfectly capable of solving solutions now but sometimes research happens ad nauseum and actually you could do more with it you could apply it better like like research for the sake of research research Sometimes, um, yeah. so sometimes people don't realise that they can spin out their technology. There are other reasons why. So, um, yeah, do you actually do you, do you see people that like they might not realise what they've got? We've got some companies that we we've invested in who, who are, unfortunately I can't talk about today for for for. for yeah. you've got like the secret squirrel crew. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I will talk about some, but um, but you know there are people that who didn't, didn't realise the applicability of their tech until they were, we were talked to, and then when you when you talk to them about what the technology can do. It broadens the horizons. So, uh, you know, the instances of actually just people wanting to get their technology out to the masses, and sometimes the easier way to do that is not to license technology out to someone else, but it's to take control and ownership of that yourself. Right. And then to drive that forward into, into a company which has a, has a platform, has a product, which can then, you know, benefit patients. And, and there's, a, there's a personal element to it as well, right? I mean, it can be, very, it can be, it can be financially and, yeah. and, and emotionally rewarding, and you can own that tech through spinning out your company. So if you spin out a company, as opposed to, say, just licensing out the technology, you, know, you might get, if you're an inventor of a technology, you might get a licensing revenue stream, which is great. Um, yeah. But you might not own the company, you might not benefit from the financial benefits you get from any shares in a company that, that develops yeah. a, a world-leading tech. And, you know, so there are, there are economic benefits as well as kind of social and personal benefits from doing that, which you just might not get if it was to stay with the institution or was to be licensed out by the institution to someone else. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, so what kind of companies are on it? I mean, I've met some of them, but can you give us, can you, can you talk us and the listeners through a little bit about some of the awesome technology or companies that, that are, that are in there that you can talk about without, you know, trying to open up the stealth the stealth yeah, box. Yeah, so I'll talk about some that are in the public domain, if that's all right. Please. Um, we'll have some really, really interesting announcements for some of our uh, our newer companies soon, which which we're also very, very excited about. But for the moment, I'm just going to stay away from those, and we'll talk about the companies. I think I think that you will have you will have particularly worked with Steve. Um, and so, you know, one company is, is a company called Enhanced Genomics. It's called Enhanced ten- Genomics. Yeah, enhanced genomics. It's, it's enhanced. It's three Ds rather than ED at the end. Okay, um, I'll tell you why that is in a moment. So it's, <laughs> okay, great. It's called, it's called enhanced genomics. It's got a technology that enables it to reveal novel disease causing genes and pathways in, in cell types and patient biopsies. So, so fundamentally, it's this technology allows it, it allows the company to produce. Uh, pretty much the highest resolution data mapping of 3D uh, chromosomal interactions between DNA reg elements and, and the promoters of the genes that they control. So okay. the, the relevance of that is that the chromosomal yeah. interactions are really crucial for understanding function of uh, disease associated to genetic variants. So okay. what, what that means in practice is that you know, the, the existing technologies out there don't make it easy to deduce 
uh, chromosomal interactions, it's quite hard to get the data that you need. So, so the company's technology enables it to unlock uh, discovery potential of huge amounts of kind of population genetic data. And the company's made developments to the technology, which enables it to open up, um, you know, opportunities to reveal disease-causing genes and pathways in, in cell types and biopsies. So, so what that means in practice is that the company has technology that enable, can enable it to, to, to identify um, they'll be used in drug discovery and other treatments. It's got a okay. world-leading world team of, of geneticists, um, pretty much unparalleled in, in the space. But it, it can basically, as I said, identify chromosomal interactions, which 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 other people and other technologies. Is that is that, is that the, the ability to identify those? Is that something that had 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 not been done before in this way? So this is all genuine world first. Yeah. So. It, it, it can be done, but the existing technology is is one dimensional. The technology the company uses is, is three dimensional. Hence the three Ds. Three D, and so and so. What it enables the company to do is is to really identify those chromosomal interactions, which then gives gives the company insights in how. Um, diseases are formed, how they function, which and therefore how you treat the technologies can't just can't do. So that if you right. can understand how how diseases and and, and 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 these interactions work, then you can then identify ways to treat those diseases. Okay. So it enables a huge potential for things like drug discovery, which which is just not available at the moment. Right, because it means that they can make drugs that are more targeted, more suited to fixing genetic diseases or, or, they, or they can identify uh, you know uh, treatments that that would be applicable to those diseases for example which people may not have right. really be aware. because they can map they can map the problems at the chromosome level yeah. correct right yeah. okay wow um, we've got another company called Spirea, which is, is redefining antibody drug conjugates so antibody okay. drug conjugates um, uh, they they effectively combine cell killing activities of, of, of cytotoxic drug payloads with targeting ability of an antibody. So they've got the p- potential to, to redefine things such as, as chemotherapy and cancer care. And the, the ADCs are not new. So you probably think, why, why, why invest in, in an ADC company? Well, I think the issue so far is that only a few ADCs have reached market, and that's for a, a variety of reasons uh, due to factors such as, um, you know, ADCs exhibiting high systemic toxicity, um, you right. know, the, the lack of flexibility in perhaps the format of the ADCs and the choice of targets and, and payloads, ultimately, you know, creating... You know, creating big tox issues when you when you put the payloads on the ADC and then you try and deliver it into the system. So Spray has got a platform technology which um which can be incorporated into ADCs to to ensure that uh, the right amount of payload is delivered to the right cells. So it enables a you know, so is it almost a set it allows the cellular delivery of these of of, of the drug effectively. Correct. Correct. It, and and the, the the payloads and as a result of the technology, uh, it, it you know the the data suggests that it's uh, quite quite good data suggests that it's it can create uh, more you know safer and more efficacious treatments than what occur. Is this the, is is this the company that was looking at pancreatic cancer? Or is this a, is that a different one? Because I, re- I remember speaking to one of yours that was sounds like they were doing something like that, but for pancreatic cancer with chemotherapy yeah. drugs. Yeah, that's right. Right, because yeah, that that yeah, I think it had the potential to make a massive difference to outcomes for that. Particular yeah, cancer. And, and it just, just enables the, the delivery of, of of payloads to the system uh, into the right places so that the the the, the, the toxic effects are reduced, and so. 
sorry, go on. No, no, go on. No, I was going to say, I mean, both those companies, I would, I mean, what they're doing sounds phenomenal. Um, there's a lot of words in there that I wasn't necessarily wholly familiar with, but I kind of got the gist of it. Um, but, but those, both of those, did they come out of universities or were they companies before they got to you guys? So, so one, one out of an institution, uh, okay. one out of the university, and then of of the other two companies, I, uh, you know, I can mention Drishti and Sumerian. Uh, another one again out of university, another one out of a out of a uh, uh, out of a company actually that one, but it originally came out of uh, a university as well. So right. again, all to do with the spinning out you know, a huge amount of tech, as you said at the start of the show, in those institutions, and um, you know, some some really you know, potentially. You know, Really yeah. Technologies. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 what you're talking about there, and I know this is the kind of the same for most, if not all of your, your companies is that your, the, the problems they solve are, are effectively global. You know, they exist in all markets in some way, shape or form. And it's millions, if not billions of people that they will help. And, you know, that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show was because, you know, these companies will not be on the tip of people's tongues, you know, in the general population, but what they're doing will be, you know, will be the treatments that we will be having in 10 or 15 or 20 years time, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And, and just looking at the other companies, I'll, I'll just give them a shout out. Just, yeah, uh, please do, do it. So another company called Drishan Discoveries, which um, has a technology that can treat previously untreatable genetic disorders and it has a focus on, on, on the kind of rare and orphan disease space. So, right. so fundamentally, it's a it's a gene editing company, and it can at a very high level and um, massively oversimplifying it. But they can they can replace so they can they can silence so effectively stop working and replace um, faulty genes, so genes that create uh, certain genetic conditions with kind of wild healthy genes. And wow. So they can actually switch the gene off. They can switch the gene off and then replace it with a healthy one to get rid of their conditions. So Drishti wow. is very very well developed. Technology. Um, probably one is, it, is, this, is, is it CRISPR or is it, is it kind of a, a, a different version of CRISPR? Uh, no, so it's, 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 it's HRNA uh, right. based modulation technology. So, um, so, so it has its own technology. It's, it's actually the technology itself um, that's been licensed. Is it, 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 It's almost like the gold standard for for for, for what it for what it does. Um, okay. And the company has got a license to it for, for a variety of reasons, but has a focus on the rare and orphan disease space, which is an area obviously I spent several years in. And yeah, you know, has huge benefits. If you can develop a, 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 a treatment that can tackle rare and orphan diseases, apart from offering uh, a solution to diseases that have previously been untreatable or or, yeah. or people haven't bothered either because of financial or the reasons to develop treatments for. Yeah, because the numbers so orphan diseases are basically diseases that afflict a, a, a relatively small number of people. So sometimes they fall through the gap in terms of having large um, amounts of, of financial investment put into them to, to find treatments because um, drug companies or, or you know therapeutic companies don't feel like they can make it pay back. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that that's correct, and uh, you know, it effectively depends on which barometer, you know, which standard you look at. But depending on which type of rare disease you're looking at, it's from one in twenty thousand to one in you know two hundred plus thousand people. Um, as as a you know, so, so in terms of the incentive for companies to develop technologies to treat these markets, the market may only be worth say a hundred to three hundred million a year, which is a lot smaller than you find for people who in, in say cancer, where it's billions right. and billions a year. So. 
So, you know, the incentive for people to develop treatments to, to help solve rare diseases and, uh, and so on is, is limited. So there are various incentives you can get from the EMA, from the, from the FDA to develop treatments for rare diseases, things like market exclusivity help and, and fast-tracking treatments. And, you know, the company companies found a way to, to, to effectively use gene editing to solve, uh, you know, to, to go ahead and solve certain and, uh, rare diseases. And, and how far off is that in market or how far off market is that? So still, still, generating, still generating data, but the technology, we're pretty, we're pretty confident about the company's ability to develop technology. Based That's on awesome. It. What was that company called? Called Drishti Discoveries. And so the Drishti, yeah, Drishti Discoveries. Drishti, okay, cool. And the, and the, the final company is a company called Sumerian, which is uh, it's a company that's effectively redefining cellular assays. So we all know Cell, cell-based assays are, are crucial in life sciences and you know they enable people to study biological processes evaluate drug compounds and and so on and so forth so effectively Sumerian has developed a a, a product called semicytes semicytes are, are basically um micro-scale cell carriers so that they're, they're super super small um effectively wafers are magnetic wafers that you can attach cells to and you can do all sorts of, of, of fantastic things with the technology so you can pull pull cells together you can uh, analyze cells in certain different ways and you can therefore use that in things such as um, you know drug discovery drug screening campaigns and so on and because so you can build your own sort of cellular matrix using yeah, yeah. And, and not just that as well, but you know, currently cell-based assays, they, they're, quite, they're quite intensive data output and, and re- reproducibility can be quite difficult. You know, the company reckons that it can, uh, it can you know, increase output by up to 50-fold and decrease costs in some instances by over 100-fold. So, so what, why are, what is a cellular assay, just in case anyone listening doesn't, doesn't know? What, what is that and why is it so critical? Yeah, so, so a, a cell assay, is, in terms of how I tend to describe them, you know, effectively, uh, a bit like an algorithm. So um, you, you know, you, you have an assay. An assay tells you how to say analyze. Uh, it's a process, basically. So it enables okay. you to put something into it to run the process and the assay and to get a result. So input output to, to, to generate output. Yes. Yeah. So so um, you know they because of various various factors that affect how assays are run you can suffer from quite poor output. You can suffer from, from, from things being quite time, cost, labor intensive. And, uh, you know, the guys, the guys at Smerian have developed a really, uh, you know, really new and exciting technology that enables them to not only make that quicker, more effective, but also to, to massively improve the output of, of those assays and, and to, to effectively redefine, you know, how, how things are studied to biological processes. So again, that's a platform technology, right? Again, yeah, it is. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Wow, and you get you get how many? How often are you getting new companies in? Is it every year or every six months? So we run the program every six months. We, um, we we've got a continuous recruitment cycle. So we, we okay. accept applications all year round. We we book it investments into six month periods because we start we run the program broadly every six months. So we we start it. We run a, a boot camp, um, which is a, an intensive kind of week long boot yeah. camp. We get loads of people in like yourself, specialists in, in different areas to talk about things from legal accountancy, tax, insurance, you know, matters, uh, you know, which they really need to be aware of when starting. But, but, but likely things that they've not necessarily had to come across or deal with before. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and then, you know, we, we run a kind of a 
follow-on sessions with partners uh, in, in other areas, you know, from say banking and so on to enable them to understand, to get a big, big overview, not just of the technological side of things, but also of the, the other commercial players and partners and, and, and areas that are going to be relevant when they set up a new business. So, so we run that, that starts, that kicks off every six months. And then we run a, a cycle of a six month investments. So broadly invest in five companies every six months, 10 a year, we run a bootcamp at the start of each six months. And we'll look to invest in broadly between 36 and 50 companies over the next, uh, uh, well, we will short, shortly have a, you know, Touchwood nine, uh, that's, that's awesome, and, and hopefully another at least another forty or so. To, to I mean, go. and you think about like each one of those companies, any one of those companies could be delivering a game changing health tech technology, or every single one of them. I mean, it's it's kind of actually it's it's amazing what you guys are doing. So I'd be interested. I'd be interested because obviously you and I got speaking originally about Starco. I'd be interested to know uh, to know what made because you you got a slightly you got an experienced management team, but. It, it, interested to know what made you go down the the kind of route of getting financing yourself rather than going through an accelerator for example yeah no it's a good question so um when we first started talking to to you guys we had already raised i think our second round we just raised our initial we'd re- we'd raised our sort of i guess our angel round um and we were kind of we'd, we'd already sort of gone through a really really intensive due diligence process for that you know we'd, we'd laid out a full business plan we had you know milestones and markers and everything kind of laid down and obviously we, we we i mean look i'm a huge fan of the program but it just felt like we 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 were slightly too organized and organized this is probably not, i don't mean it in a bad way but we sort of had a plan if that makes sense now it might turn out that we should have been with you guys from the start you know and that, that's on me or on us um but we sort of like we we just couldn't get we, we just couldn't kind of figure out how to yeah. sort of like put what we already told people and committed to with, with the investors to then say, well, no, actually we've now decided to just kind of completely switch and then sort of go over here. Um, but the, the program, and, and there were certain elements where, like you say, because of the experience that we already had in the management team and, you know, Peter Cowley's on the board and, you know, we've got some very, very experienced backers and advisors. There was a lot that, that we, in, in a weird way, that we didn't necessarily need you know we were sorted on the ip we already had a lot of our we had our patents filed we had you know good progress on the commercial side of things um you know i think the big thing that we would have really really benefited from was actually the um su- support on the technology yeah that, that's definitely something in hindsight where we could have really really benefited from tapping into your or the program's network within cambridge to help us speed up our our technology development you know in the end it's all it's all been fine but certainly within a for a six month period of time at the beginning that would have been super helpful um because it took us a, i think the the thing that we did notice was that um you know it starting a, a wet lab or a certified lab from scratch, which is what we did and hiring scientists, which is what we did. You know, it, it's not suddenly like, you know, on the planet says day one, open lab day two, you know, <laughs> development starts. Whereas, you know, actually in reality, they're sort of finding the right people, bedding in the right people, putting that all in place alongside all the regulatory stuff that you have to do. There's just some lead time on that. So I think yeah. that, that support from, from the program would have been, would have been amazing. Yeah, so that, 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 I mean, to me, that makes sense. I mean, again, you know, you've got a team which was 
and been through you know been through the, the whole process of you know yourself setting things up exiting you know everything else is, you know, that, that's already happened i think i think you know it's good to know that you would have benefited from from aspects of it but equally you know entirely understand entirely understand why you might have taken that alone i think well i, think I tell you what with, with my i tell you what the next health tech company i set up will definitely come <laughs> i promise you that um so let's so we're both in cambridge so why why cambridge what, um, what, what, why cambridge i mean about cambridge let's let's not let's not be around the bush it's it's the it's the healthcare epicenter of europe yeah i, I agree it just is and you know if you look at the stats it's it's you know it's it's coming up to you know it's very close in terms of its numbers in terms of the amount of innovation that's happening there in terms of the just the sheer multitude of companies you know to be uh, to be you know close to mit and and to stanford mm. but it's in the top three in the world as as a place to be in if you're in the healthcare life sciences sector it's certainly about people understand the area and the sector yeah. because the ecosystem it very, has. Very, it's got an amazing set of educated investors you know i would think or i, it, I would say and that's uh, critical yeah and and you know it has it has the facilities which you won't get in other places and the network which you just won't get in other places for healthcare now you know there's obviously a huge tech scene in places like london there's a huge tech scene and i still, I still think london is, is the is the leading tech hub in in, in europe notwithstanding yeah. a few days ago but uh yeah. you know Obviously, there are obviously big tech hubs in other places, but I, I genuinely don't think there is anywhere else in Europe to be other than Cambridge in the UK in terms of healthcare and life sciences. I think I think it's a barometer for it's the barometer for Europe. It's it's the epicenter of innovation and, and and so on for Europe. We've got a fantastic science sector in the UK, huge you know across the UK, but actually a huge part of that is is based in Cambridge. Um, and I just think the resources it offers to people uh, is currently unparalleled in the region. Yeah, and, and also, the pool, and, and I, I would agree. And I think that, you know, obviously we, we actually, when we set the company up, we were looking at London or Cambridge, so those two. Um, and, you know, uh, my co-founder, Kieran, she, she's got a background in Cambridge. She went to, she went to Cambridge and obviously... We've got a number of investors from the Cambridge cluster, so you know we were split between the two, and then we just we just realised that the the it's almost like it's a crucible of of development in Cambridge. It's its focus is so strong on life sciences and health tech that actually just by being in that ecosystem you get a huge amount of benefit. Whereas I completely agree with you if you're if you take tech broadly, then London without question is the place to be but being outside of london in cambridge particularly for health tech is, is a huge bonus and if you need to get to london it's only 40 minutes on the train so you know we, we're we're on the um vital science solutions is on the nhs digital london accelerator but because they're sort of it's almost one and the same thing geographically speaking um from a sort of a company perspective we can be there as, as often as we want to and and all of any any tech solution can work in london or work outside of london it's sort of you know it's just a, a line on a map so yeah no we're 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 a big fan as well and I, I would recommend that any company that's within the health tech or life sciences space should look at cambridge it's changed last 10 years as well in terms of facility accessibility everything it's it's gone through a huge transformation and i mean it was always it was always the epicenter i think of innovation for healthcare but in terms of the facilities available to it it's just gone through a tremendous change in the last 10 15 years and and i, I really do believe it's the place to be notwithstanding everything that's, that's happened uh, you know over the past few years uh it's still it's still still the leader in my do opinion. you do you think that start codon could have happened in another place or is it there's something special about cambridge i think there's something special about cambridge i think could it have happened I, th I think the industry was uh i think there's an i still i think there's a need for it so could it have happened outside of cambridge 
yes, would we have wanted it to have happened outside of Cambridge? Because bear in mind, we look we look at companies from everywhere across the world. We just operate our 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 accelerator and our fund from Cambridge, and we you know we we have lab space and office space there as well, which we give to companies, and we encourage them to relocate to the area and to benefit from all the resources in the area. Mm. But um, could we have done it? I think I think yes. Would we have wanted to do it outside of the area? No, I don't think so. Can't see anyone else. Yeah, no. I mean, we're we're the same. Oxford, Oxford is obviously up there, but that's that's a separate radio show. <laughs> yeah, well, that's um, yeah. I have that argument with my co-founder regularly, but yeah, it's tremendous with the vaccine incident and great that that yeah. was. And Oxford, obviously, another hub for for innovation as well. Joking aside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so just we've got a few minutes left. So let's touch on something, you know, kind of a topic of the day that I know is close to your heart, close to my heart is um, what changes do you think have happened or will happen as a result of the pandemic to healthcare systems? I know that we talked a bit about a few things beforehand, but like what what, what bridges have we crossed that we're not going back across? Yeah, so I think I think there's been, and I get your thoughts on this. I think there's been a huge change in attitude, uh, forced attitude because of the pandemic. So I think I think for health, for what does that mean for kind of health tech? Um, I think I think there's opportunities for health tech in a, in a whole range of different areas. From you know uh, looking at ways that things like testing could be improved and made more you know, more efficient, P- POC testing, uh, you know tools to you know, health tech. Yeah, to, 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 yeah, exactly. Or to, or to streamline things. Uh, we talked about early diagnosis and preventative tech. I think I think there's there's, there's a huge opportunity there, um, you know, which needs to be explored. But I think I think also, you know, people going just people generally, generally people's day to day lives going to the doctors, going to hospital. I think you know, there's, there's been a lot of data suggests that people are really reluctant, particularly vulnerable people, to go into hospitals, yeah. to, to healthcare settings generally. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been a forced change on the system uh, about how people are diagnosed, as we mentioned earlier, whether that, you know, and then technologies to kind of implement implement that. And so I think there's huge, there's a huge opportunity for for health tech in, you know, in, in enabling that to happen. Because I can't see us going back to the way that we were entirely. I mean, there will, there, you know, there'll always be any face-to-face stuff, but I think there's there's a huge opportunity for digital health solutions, training solutions, robotics, AI. I think I think the world is literally health tech's oyster in that sense, because I think we've had a, 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 a full paradigm shift of where we were versus where we are now. Yeah. And I can't see us going back to... And not using things like video consultations or telephone. Right. Well, and we need, you know, and we need solutions, like you say, for the ability to monitor, monitor chronic conditions outside of GP surgeries or outside of clinical mm-hmm. clinical settings. Which is, you know, we we're playing our small part in that around, um, you know, cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes. But I completely agree, and I hope we don't go back to that because ultimately, being able to treat things outside of a clinical setting, I, I think, has benefits to the patient you know, as well as to the, the system. Um, so I hope that we, we can make that stuff stick. So, yeah. I think, I think there's, also, there's also been a change in how people manage their health. So I'm not just talking about health in the kind of sense that, uh, that Stark Codon looks at health and, and healthcare, but also in terms of treatments for, for how people manage mental health and, and well-being. Yeah. How, how they you know how they will live their lives because being cooked up in a, in a effectively in a house working from home uh, or even being forced to go into an office where you feel uncomfortable has impacts on people's mental health and I think that the more that we can do to to help people 
get control of their lives as you said at the start you know with what you guys doing more you can enable people and 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 uh, you know get them to take control of their own health and their own lives i think i think the better that's going to be for all and society i agree well look we've run out of time daniel Thank you so much for your time. Start Codon is creating the companies of the future. So hopefully, you know, we can get you back on where you can talk about your next cohort. But good luck with everything. And thanks a lot for joining the show. Thank you very much for your time and, and to all your listeners. Thanks, Steve.